Wizards of the Coast is currently playtesting and tinkering with one D&D, which they claim will be the definitive version of Dungeons & Dragons for the foreseeable future. And if that makes you cautious, I completely understand why. But what exactly is it? Is this a new edition or just an update? Should you be excited or afraid or kind of both like I am? And most importantly, are they messing with your favorite character classes? Well, let's get into it. Before I get into the video, I should probably talk about the elephant in the room, the elephant that we're probably all aware of, but is still here. Anyway, the announcement of 1D&D came in the middle of a massive debacle regarding the OGL, the virtual tabletop, and a ton of confusion about what 1D&D even is or is meant to be. You can go ahead and skip to this point in the video if you want to avoid hearing about the OGL for the millionth time, but for any of you not quite familiar with it, let's just go over that really quick. The OGL stands for Open Gaming License, and it's the legal document that allows third parties to create D&D content and sell it themselves. I won't go into the legalese and details, as that is far outside the purview of a dungeon master slash videographer slash whatever it is I do. But the short version of the story is that along with 1D&D, Wizards of the Coast tried to sneak in a change to the OGL that would demand royalties from third-party developers and grant themselves way more power over the market. Alarm bells were raised in the community, rightfully so, and after a huge backlash and fight, WotC capitulated and backed off from their proposed change. Instead, they've put out a new OGL that actually grants third parties a bit more access to Core 5e rules to use for their own. There's a problem, though. WotC has essentially pulled a gun on third parties, misfired, and then put the gun away and promised not to do it again. They've shown their intention is to clench down on the market and kill third parties, which has already caused a lot of players and creators to find different systems to work with. If you're curious what my short version of thoughts are on this whole situation, Watsi, we never needed you to play D&D. Another thing to cover in this discussion is the topic of virtual tabletop. A big part of one D&D's announcement was that this wasn't just an update, but a unification of the D&D experience, including book codes for virtual copies using D&D Beyond and a new D&D exclusive virtual tabletop. The idea of buying an adventure path and automatically getting not only a virtual version of that book, but also the encounters, monsters, and terrain from that adventure sounds amazing, but... There's a catch. Firstly, until they backed off the OGL, their plan was to make their virtual tabletop the only virtual tabletop where you could play one D&D, striking down with the banhammer on other third-party virtual tabletops that tried. Next, and this is only rumored and not confirmed, but there's still a good chance the plan was, or still is, to make this whole one D&D package a subscription service for $20 a month. Every corporation drools at the thought of subscription services these days, and this rumor falls right in line with Hasbro's overall goal of getting better monetization out of D&D. The virtual tabletop doesn't even exist yet, and there's no point getting upset about what hasn't happened yet, obviously, but I'm not looking forward to paying a monthly fee for playing Dungeons & Dragons, and... We'll see if I do. Finally, I should add that a lot of the rule changes make a ton of sense when you think of it in terms of a virtual tabletop and what it can handle. Rules are much more compacted and make fewer outside references, which is good in and of itself, but they do seem to be changes made with the virtual tabletop in mind. Let's cut through some of the nonsense here. This is 5.5 edition. Trying to claim this isn't a new edition is just marketing wanting to have their cake and eat it too. No, this isn't a full new edition. It's definitely just a 5.5. We've been in a new golden age of tabletop RPGs with 5th edition D&D as the shining frontrunner. 
but now that it's time for an update, they're very hesitant to say anything close to new edition, and I guess I kind of understand why. This edition update is the hopefully happy middle ground, keeping the skeleton of 5e and then tinkering with the details. This is like 3.0 moving to 3.5 or the Pathfinder Unchained update. A big fix and update, but you don't have to throw out all of your old books or anything. Before we get too deep into this, I think it's important to note that at the time of recording, all the available information on 1D&D is from Unearthed Arcana playtest material. Nothing is set in stone, and tomorrow they could decide to throw out all the test content for something else entirely. So if the current playtest is gutting your favorite class, just hold off on your rage a little bit until the final version is released. So let's get into what's changing, because it's quite a bit actually. We won't go through every little change, since at that point you may as well just be reading the actual playtest, but what we will go over are the big sweeping changes and the changes that'll affect your games the most. Starting with categorization. A lot of 5e's clunkiest bits are getting streamlined down by creating overarching categories that can be referenced rather than having a million instances of reminder text, patch rules, and references. Some of the big ones are spell sources, for instance, rather than each class having their own specific class list, there are now three primary spell sources they draw their spells from, arcane, divine, and primal. You'll also find that a lot of the spells that were previously class-specific aren't on those lists and are now special class spells that are a part of their class features. There's also class groups. All classes now belong to a class group, which, as a category, divide all the classes into expert, mage, priest, or warrior. This makes a mechanical distinction that allows for buffs or abilities that can only be used by several classes as a group. There's also d20 tests. A lot of the abilities would previously say when you roll a d20 for x, y, or z, and they've simplified that down into a single mechanical d20 test. This doesn't actually change much, but it will cut down on the wording. There's also skill actions. A ton of things previously were done with a skill check to do x thing. Now those things are properly codified actions that you are making a d20 test using a skill to achieve. A good example is the new influence action that envelops all the persuasion and intimidation based things that the DM previously just winged but are now condensed down into a concrete rule. I know a lot of you are curious about weapons. A ton of the weapons got little tweaks, but the big change is the addition of a new weapon masteries. These weapon masteries are extra effects or abilities that each broad weapon category is capable of, but only if you have the weapon mastery. All the martial classes get to choose one or more of the weapon mastery options to unlock. To sum all that up, martial classes get a few favorite weapon types, and if they use their mastered weapons, they get to do things like tripping attacks or a little extra damage. Another thing that's changing are practically all the character creation options. There are more character options changing than there are staying the same, and we'll go through each race and class that is significantly changing on their own, but here are the general changes that you can anticipate. First we have later subclasses. A weird design change they're trying out is pushing all archetypes to third level with uniform advancement scales. This awkwardly means your cleric won't pick a god they worship for a few levels, sorcerers won't have a source of their magic, and paladins still won't take an oath until later. Flavor issues aside, this seems to be an attempt to reduce the complexity at first level, and potentially lead to cross-class archetypes down the road. Next we have Epic Boons. All the class capstone abilities have been moved down to earlier levels, and instead each class gets to pick their own Epic Boon at 20th level. These are like super feats that boost a stat up to 4, increase your maximums to 30, and provide some big benefit. They're trying to push for post-20 game content, but... We'll see how that goes. I'm honestly very interested in the idea, and I've kind of done that with some NPCs at this point, so 
yeah, we'll see. Next we have origins. We're finally getting rid of the socially sketchy term race and replacing it with species. Personally, for a fantasy universe, I feel like heritage or lineage would have been better, but, you know, to each their own. I feel like species is a bit more of a sci-fi RPG term, but I, I'm on a tangent. Anyway, skill features have been stripped out of the races and sprinkled back into the backgrounds. They're also shifting the starting ability score increases from your species to your background, which is a change that I really appreciate and know a lot of people have been hoping for. Backgrounds also start you off with a feat, which replaces the sort of awkward background features they had before. Finally, most species can be chosen as small or medium versions. With all the overarching stuff out of the way, let's go through each species and backgrounds and see what most of the major changes are. Let's start by talking about the Ardling. The Azamar are gone, and now we have animal angel people. The theming here is weird, but our celestial-blooded race now has animal heads and beast features like a strange mixture of the Azamar and Shifter. Time will tell if it sticks, but I'm sad to see the Azamar go and excited to see what people do with these things. Next we have the Dragonborn. Breath Weapon is a touch weaker, but in exchange the dragons finally get Dark Vision, and they get magical wings at 5th level made out of their draconic element. Cool stuff, and seems like an overall buff. When it comes to the dwarf, the sub-races have been sort of combined into one, and they made stone cunning useful. Stone cunning now grants tremor sense on stone surfaces. They have tweaked how tremor sense works a bit, but it's still a powerful new addition that replaces a feature that hardly ever had an effect. And then when it comes to the gnome, it's mostly the same, except an extensive update to the tinkering feature for rock gnomes that is more like having tiny mechanical minions than the previous glorified noisemakers. Wordy and a bit confused, but a definite buff. And then when it comes to the Goliath, they lose the elevation trait, stone's endurance, and the powerful build feature that never matters. And in return, they gain 5 feet of extra movement, the ability to grow large at 5th level, and their choice of a giant ancestry feature, one of which is stone's endurance again. The giant ancestry stuff is both mechanically strong and flavorfully interesting, and it's a big win for the giant kin. That was an unintentional rhyme. And then with the halfling, like the dwarves, the halfling subclasses were sort of combined into one, meaning you essentially just get more features for the same halfling price. Other than that, the big change is their 30-foot movement speed, which replaces the unpleasant 25. And then we arrive at the human. Gone is the era of banning variant humans. Humans just get a feat at first level, flat out. They also get a feature that automatically restores inspiration on a long rest, which means hopefully we'll see inspiration getting more use in the future. Also, leave a comment if you want me to do a video about inspiration and cool ways to use it, or just even basic ways to use it if you're confused. I would love to talk about it because I think it's easily the most underused mechanic in D&D that should be at more tables. Anyway, moving on to the orc. Mostly the same except the aggressive feature has been tweaked into Adrenaline Rush. You can still dash closer to a target as a bonus action, but now you also gain temporary hit points at the cost of making the uses limited to your proficiency bonus per long rest. It's worth noting here that it seems that half-orcs and other half-races are gone. At least for now. And next with the tiefling, mostly the same features, but the original tiefling has been combined with a couple of the alternative fiendish varieties of tiefling. You mainly get a choice of the racial spell sets from before, not a buff or a nerf, but a streamline. Now to get into the real meat of all the changes, we have to talk about classes. Some classes got minor tweaks, but some are complete overhauls. 
So far we have a playtest version of every class except for the Artificer and the Monk. So let's get into this. Starting with the Barbarian, low-level Barbarians will feel hardly any changes at all, but Tiers 3 and 4 got massively shuffled. The majority of the changes were taking the Tier 4 features and shifting them down into Tier 3. Probably the most extreme shift down was Indomitable Might, an 18th level feature originally that has been shifted all the way down to 9th level. Beyond that, we get some minor common sense tweaks to rage, no more hitting yourself to keep rage up, and overall the class seems stronger. Also, the Path of the Berserker is finally playable. They got rid of the exhaustion mechanic and fixed up the bonus action conflict that made Berserker just so... bad. And now moving on to my precious Bard class. Bard has been pushed more towards a healer role with a base alternate use of Bardic Inspiration for healing and a feature called Songs of Restoration that gives you a list of healing spells that are always prepared in addition to your other spells. Bardic Inspiration uses are linked to proficiency bonuses rather than charisma bonuses now, which means fewer uses early on but also means that they'll go up later on. Except Font of Inspiration has also been pushed up two levels to seventh, meaning you're going to have to be really sparing with that inspiration until much later now. I've gotta say it feels very weird to nerf core mechanics like this while also trying to push bards hard into a healing role, which has always been more of a side option to them. It's just a very surprising nerf and shift, as I've always heard people complain that bards are overpowered. If playgroups allow it, I suspect a lot of players will stick to the original version of the class, and I don't really blame them. I'm conflicted about this. This feels like the kind of thing you would do to the bard in a video game, not in an update to 5e. I'm not going to harp on this for too long. When it comes to clerics, a lot of the features have been changed slightly or shuffled around. For example, the Blessed Strike feature turns all those archetype features that add damage into one core feature for the class. The big change here is starting the archetype at third level instead of first, which means you'll be sort of a generic holy man until you pick a god at third level, which is very odd. Actually, you know, I'm going to take that back. That might not be that odd when I think about it. A lot of parties just kind of start at third level anyway, and maybe they want that first to second to third level for early parties to give them, a, give them time for an arc. You know, maybe I like that. Maybe I like this decision. I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. They've also shifted down and changed the turn undead feature, getting rid of the weird turned quasi-condition and replacing it with the new dazed condition. We really need to talk about the druid, because according to a lot of druid mains, including my wife, uh, they, they've kind of killed it. Wild Shape is utterly gutted. Instead of being able to turn into any sort of beast, you're stuck with three set stat blocks that represent land, air, and sea creatures, with none of the flavor. Then, to add insult to injury, they still lock the air and sea forms behind even higher levels than we had before. They also strangely shift Druid to be more like a cleric, putting their healing powers front and center alongside a Channel Divinity-like feature called Channel Nature. And I won't mince words, uh, and I think a lot of you probably share my opinion, I hate this new version, but I can... See the logic? Three forms is a lot easier to implement in a virtual tabletop than potentially infinite animal forms from random bestiaries. I understand it, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. And again, this feels like a video game thing as opposed to a tabletop update. Ugh, I'm trying to take my own advice and not get too mad about something that isn't final yet. I just... I'm just surprised. They've definitely put the fighter up as the poster child for the new weapon mastery features, giving the fighter more of them than any other class, and a new feature that lets you swap them out on a long rest. 
Action Surge got a minor nerf, but in practice it'll essentially be the same. Probably the biggest change is a nerf to Second Wind, making it twice per long rest rather than once per short rest. It does seem like the fighter archetypes are just straight up gaining more features as their example of the champion archetype is getting more features and some features earlier than they were before. Moving on to the paladin, it's practically unchanged and unscathed. A little bit of shuffling in the later tiers, but you should find paladins mostly the same. Moving on to the ranger, hunter's mark is now baked into the class and you don't have to concentrate on it, which at this point I ask myself why it's even considered a spell, but here we are, which is a sizable buff. All rangers are starting with spellcasting at first level rather than waiting. They're getting better late game features and that quasi invisibility feature that was terrible is now straight up invisibility which is great. Overall it seems like the class got buffed and a lot of the mechanics that just never worked with ranger have been stripped out. When it comes to the rogue, the core class is passing through practically unchanged with just some late tier feature shuffling and some slight rewording to make sneak attack clearer. The Thief archetype, however, has been completely reworked and now allows you to take the new Search and Sleight of Hand action as a bonus action using your Cunning action. Thieves are also getting a built-in climb speed and bonuses to jumps, along with just straight-up advantage on stealth checks. And when talking about the Sorcerer, more spell slots, more meta magic, and more new features, Sorcerer makes out like a bandit in this new edition, and probably rightfully so. As part of a trend that will hold for all the other spellcasting classes, you're also getting some specific class spells that are always prepared for you and you don't count against the rest of the spells that you know. For Sorcerers, their class spells are Chaos Bolt and Sorceress Burst. Chaos Bolt is unchanged, and Sorceress Burst is essentially the cantrip version of it, dealing a small amount of a damage type of your choice. Once you hit 5th level, you also get a new unique Sorcerer spell, Sorceress Vitality, which gives the paper-thin Sorcerer a way to heal themselves. All of this adds up to a big buff, and you're going to be able to metamagic spells a lot easier now. The fact that the class spells are now baked into the class means you'll be seeing those spells a lot, but it'll help distinguish each mage class from the other. The one thing that hurts is moving the archetype to third level, which means all sorcerers will be very samey in the early levels, but as I mentioned earlier, that might be a benefit to roleplaying in some ways. And now we gotta talk about the warlock. It's... It hurts a little. It looks a lot worse than it is, but it still hurts. The class has essentially been taken apart, twisted inside out, and put back together into something new. It's definitely a departure from what you've played before. Firstly, Pact Magic is no more. Now they just have a spellcasting feature and regain spell slots on a long rest like everybody else. Next, a lot of what were Warlock features have been morphed into class spells and baked back into the class. You get medium armor for every warlock, and the Book of Shadows is a cantrip now that lets you shuffle spells around. I don't personally like these changes, and I've seen a lot of people share that sentiment, but I suspect this is a resistance to change rather than logical objections to the changes themselves. It's easier if you think of it as an entirely new class, since the differences are just so extreme. And then with wizards, at early levels they won't feel much different. Most of the changes concern consolidating some of their rules together and making them easier to understand. Adding a spell to your spellbook is now a spell called Scribe Spell you automatically get, and you can use your spellbook as an arcane focus, which is a nice change. Where wizards will feel different is in tiers 2 and 3, which get you a set of special class spells that let you modify spells and even create new ones. They're trying to push wizards as not just spellcasters, but as spell crafters, which is an amazing route that I can't wait to play around with, and 
more importantly, see some of my wizard mains at my table play around with. They did technically get a nerf in that Arcane Recovery has been pushed to second level, but it's a minor nerf at worst. I have to put emphasis on the detail of being able to make your own spells. I think that's absolutely amazing. It's about time. There are so many old RPGs that essentially allow you to do that already and encourage it. And yeah, about time. Can't wait for that. It's almost pointless to try and draw a conclusion on playtest material, as everything we just went through could be completely different by the time this video comes out. But in general, they seem to be streamlining things that were clunky, restructuring the character creation system in a good way, and putting great efforts towards making the system ready to function in a virtual tabletop. Only time will tell what changes stick and how the community at large will react, but surrounding issues aside, I'm seeing mostly positive changes that should create better gameplay, or at very least I see a lot of changes in the right direction that could just use a bit more refinement. Let's just hope that Wizards of the Coast actually continues to focus on implementing these positive changes and making better gameplay, as opposed to rolling out a paid subscription service that can make them a bit more money. Again, Wizards of the Coast, we don't need you to play D&D, and we never did, and I don't need to pay $20 a month when I have so many other things on my mind that I want to buy for my D&D table that has nothing to do with your stupid update. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new content like this all the time. And if you have strong feelings about 1D&D and anything surrounding the OGL or anything else with Wizards of the Coast over this past... Feels like a year, but I know it's shorter than that. If you have any feelings about any of that, please let me know down in the comments. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skullsplitter Dice, and until next time, farewell, everyone.